In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we are finishing up our series as we went through the book of Matthew. We were doing pericope readings, which just means just cut out. These are readings taken out, and people who are smarter than I am, and more particular than I am, took readings and said, these are the ones you should really focus on. So I actually skipped this one that we're going to talk about today, and we moved on to what happened after it last week. So last week, we were talking about Peter makes his confession, and then uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples, talking about what really is going to happen now, and here's what it takes. I have to suffer, and I have to die. And you remember Peter's reaction. He's like, no, this is not the kind of Savior I want. This is not what I want to see happen. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. This is not how it works. If you're going to talk like that, you just don't talk. So I, I was getting ready to move on to Matthew 18. I was pretty excited about it. And then I got more than one person that said, okay, what's the deal with Peter's confession and the gates of Haiti will never overcome the church. So I said, okay. So we're going backwards. That's what we're going to do. I thought I had a great plan, and then apparently it wasn't that good of a plan. That's never happened to me before, except almost every week. So here we go. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16, and we're going back to this. Um, have you ever been at like the cusp of, I've never been there, the Grand Canyon. Has anyone been to the Grand Canyon? I imagine like you can't even get your brain around it, and then you take pictures, and then you show your friends the pictures. How do those turn out? Like a sunset, have you ever done that? You're like, you got to see this sunset, and you take a picture, and, you're, and they're like, yeah, that looks cool. But it's not nearly as great, unless you know what you're doing with photography. I do not. The same thing happens with the solar eclipse. Did you take pictures of it? And your friends are like, hey, that was lame, and you're like, no, it really was lame. That's as good as it got. That's it. <laughs> no, no, that's just, that was it. That's all we had. So the same thing kind of happens in like mountains. If you go to the top of a 14er, it's never quite, you can't explain the depth and the magnitude and the width. You can't do that. And there's a few buildings like that if you've ever been to some place. First time probably you went to a sports stadium. I can't, when I was a kid, it was, I was even impressed with Milwaukee County Stadium. Has anyone ever been there? That is like a lean-to when it comes to the stadiums now. It's like the worst stadium ever. But as a kid, it was so big and like the grass was so green. I can, you know, I can picture it, how amazing this was the first time you go to a big-time stadium. One of the buildings that, uh, that just kind of takes my breath away was uh, St. Peter's Basilica. Has anyone ever been there in Rome, in the Vatican? Okay, so, you've been, so this is one of the ones. This is the biggest church. Here's a picture of it. This is the biggest church when they have like the Pope who does something. He comes out of that window. The window's right here. And uh, to, I want to give you a sense of the magnitude of this building. If you've never been there, you think, okay, that looks like a Capitol building, right? But we're going to just talk about the size of this building. So just the, the height of it is, let's see if I got some pictures here. I think I do. Here's another view of it. This is the courtyard, and you can see the little window where they come out. Um, this is a giant complex, just so you know. If you go to the Vatican, there's a giant library um, over that way. That's where the Sistine Chapel is. That's part of this whole complex, but not part of St. Peter's Basilica. That's a separate building. So take some guesses how many people can worship in St. Peter's Basilica at one time. Our new church will have around... 250, and if we squeeze it, 300. Take a guess. Someone give me a guess. 60,000 plus. 60,000 plus. So just floor space in St. Peter's Basilica, if um, by square footage, if you take a football field and you take, include the end zones, because that's the only part that counts. So you include the end zones and the football field, 4.3 football fields fit inside on the floor of this building. It is so tall that, uh, I'll give you a couple examples. Here, I'll jump to one you know for sure. When you drive by Elitch Gardens, that's only 300, like 30 feet tall. It's 450 feet tall. So the top of it is taller than that observation tower. I'm going back. 
This is a new building. I only see that glass building. Have you seen that new pretty one in Denver? It's pretty awesome, I think. Um, actually, Rex Johnston's working on it. So J Rex is one of the, I don't know what the official term is. He's one of the guys who don't sleep at night and work all day. But he's one of the main guys driving this project, and he talks to me about things like, yeah, we're covering the glass and, you know, concrete's happening and things like that. I'm trying to get him to give me a tour before it's closed up. He said I, I can't. So talk to Rex and see if I can go up there, because I think that would be super fun. But you can see, this is going to be 600 feet tall, so you can see roughly, though I use this picture on purpose, the weight of the top would be 605 feet. So roughly where that glass is right now would be about as high as St. Peter's Basilica. Just unbelievably massive. You walk into it. If he's, has anyone been to like St. Patrick's in New York? That's probably the most famous one. Or if you go to even bigger one, there's St. John the Divine in New York. It is so big, and this dwarfs it. This dwarfs it. Like, you can fit the biggest other churches in the world inside of it without even touching the, without touching the walls. It's like operation. You could slide it in there if you were able to do that. Unbelievably big. So it's one of these things where you get to the outside. You can take pictures like that, like this, and you can't, not like that. No one has taken a picture of that. <laughs> no, that was the first one. You can, you can take pictures of this, and you can't quite fathom the scope when you walk inside and the size of the pillars and, and all the things that go with it. One of the things that goes to your mind is there's, this thing's never going to fall. Like, this is like, this is not like the big bad wolf can come, and nothing is going to knock these down. So I think of this building when I think of, um, and on this rock, on this church, I, the gates of Hades will never overcome it. And... When you think of the church, and Jesus says that the gates of Haiti are going to never overtake my church, I'm guessing a lot of things come in your mind, though, when you think of the church. You're thinking, okay, uh, there's people who literally bring bombs to church. But I think even more than that, you think about government. Even in our government, there's laws that come down to say, okay, marriage, what God says about marriage is not true anymore. What God says about life, that life itself is precious, there's states and there's government that say that's not true anymore. And these are the things that we hold on to. And maybe, probably scarier for me, is not the direct attacks against our church. I think that churches like in China, where they have direct attacks kind of from the government, I think that kind of makes you tough and you're ready for it. Um, it's the indifference. It almost feels like, do you feel like that sometimes in society? It feels like people are just letting, it doesn't matter what you believe. I mean, really, you say, this is what I confess, and they're like, okay. Just total indifference to... God's life-changing word, and, and you think, is it, is it like a wave of the ocean coming to crash? And so Jesus paints, points out two points the, in, in our reading. Uh, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, this is kind of uh, uh, out in the distance up north, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I, the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, uh, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, but, but what about you? Why does Jesus say, what about you? When you think about the church, the church isn't like granite and stone and gold. Uh, you can ask my daughters. Let's see if my daughter's here. They, they make fun of me, believe it or not. Uh, my daughters make fun of me, and they say, uh, oh, what, are you talking about dad's intro? You guys could probably say, what does pastor say or Jared say? Good morning. I'm Pastor Jared Olenberg. I'm the pastor of the people that get to meet here. One of my favorite things to do, all right? So they, they, they'll do that. And then it gets longer, you know, like it's a little more exaggerated as they tell this story, but they, they, they know the whole story. But the reason, and people said that same thing to me, we're getting a new building, they're like, oh, I bet you're excited, right? As a pastor, you know, I, I'm excited because of, of people, 
Right. I'm not excited to be pastor in a certain building, and, and there's, a, there's not like a joy. I mean, I enjoy getting a new building. That's going to be exciting, but that's not the greatest joy I have. I don't like spin around like, oh, look at the walls and get my you know, family pictures by it. I like being a pastor because I like being a pastor of people, right? It's not the building that matters. And the same thing is true, and this is the scary part. We know the devil in Hades is going to attack the church, but it's not the building's part. That's not what we're talking about. If the church is made up of people, who is the devil going to attack? You. Individually. You. And so I think it's really significant. I think this is what stands out is when Jesus comes to his disciples, he's not saying collectively. You know, what does the world think? Okay, that's, that's important. But what really matters is what do you think? And I think we're asking ourselves the same question. It does not matter what your friends think. It doesn't really matter what your family thinks or the people you hang out with. The question God asks you, who do you say that I am? And that's what matters. So what about you, he asked. Well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered. Of course, he's the first one to talk. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is like an unbelievable response. And if you're going to lay something down to your kids and say, at night, say, who is Jesus? If they could say this, he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, you're set. I mean, this is good. And the Messiah just means Christ. So in other translations, it says you are the Christ. And remember the story behind the story with the book of Matthew. What is Matthew trying to explain to all the Jewish people that he writes this book to? He's trying to explain, listen, Jesus is the Messiah. You can keep looking around, but this is the guy. So here is Peter's confession. Peter is saying, Jesus, we eat with you, we walk with you, we stand with you, you are actually the guy. Like that the Old Testament talked about, you're the one. And in a, in a nutshell, you're the savior of the world. You're the one who's going to die and take our sins away. And Jesus says, you nailed it. That, that was, that's pretty solid. I mean, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh in blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This beautiful translation, God says to Peter, this is a gift from God that you've heard us. Now, we've got a play on words here. I don't know if I highlighted them. Oh, I did. Good. This, uh, this rock... He uses a couple different words here, but this is a play on words because Peter, his name is actually Simon, and he changes his name to Peter. And does anyone know the Latin, at least, for Peter, if you've gone through Israel? There's uh, Indiana Jones, you know, the scene where they go into, uh, I think it's Indiana Jones and the, which one is it? I can't remember. Not the Temple of Doom, is it? This, but Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they go into Petra? And they go, they go in there, and then that's where they sneak out. I think it's in that movie, but Petra's just a facade. You know, that, I, like I've dreamed about going there. This is in Jordan. It's like that cool etched out of the stone kind of thing. Can you picture this? Okay, some of you are like, yes, and some of you are like, I can't believe you bring this up. But yeah, I can picture what you're talking about. So Petra just means rock. That's actually, there's tombs inside. It's not some super cool world that opens up when you go inside those doors. It's just like where dead people are buried. But the outside is really awesome, and that's Petra. And Petra means rock. And so he says, you are now named Petra, uh, Peter. And on this rock, what's really interesting is he doesn't use a masculine form. I know this is too many details for you. Uh, but he uses a feminine form. So what he's saying, this rock is not really St. Peter himself. 
So he's not saying, you are Peter and I build my church on you. He's saying, that thing, remember that thing you just said where you nailed it? That's what my church is built on. My church is built on, bigger than a person, it's built on a confession. And it's a confession that I am the Savior and I am the Messiah that takes all these sins away. So remember what happened. He said, um, keep in mind that the gates of Hades are not going to overcome it and temptations come. So how does the gates of Hades work? Well, you think the very next section we talked about last week, when Peter uh, hears that Jesus has to suffer and die and the Savior of the world isn't going to be strong and tough all the time, what does Peter say? Does he like it? Not so much. Uh, what about when Jesus is about to suffer and die and he's in a courtyard and a young girl says, hey, aren't you with Jesus? I don't know who you're talking about. Not so tough then, right? It's, it's easy to confess Jesus is the Savior of the world when you're around other believers, I think, right? That's pretty easy. It's easy to say you like the Packers when you're around other Packer fans. And it's, well, it's never easy to say you like the Patriots, no matter where you are in the world. How many of you are so happy they lost? <laughs> there we go, right? That's the best participation I've got all day. You're like, I'm like, and you guys reading your Bible, you're like, yeah, yeah, Patriots lose, I love it. <laughs> and so the, there's certain scenarios, and, and you kind of want to roll your eyes because that's what the gates of Hades does. When, when, when he takes individually, just like saw, like one at a time when I talk to the kids, just shh, 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 it's, it's one at a time. And he's not taking us collectively. He's not taking on our experts as a church. He's not saying, as a church body, do you have it right? Jesus asks you, who do you say I am? And the devil comes to you individually. And we can talk about the problems in the church. There's plenty of problems in the church as a whole, right? That's not that hard. But what's the biggest problem? Me, right? You. If it, the, the problem with the church is not that uh, the world doesn't care what we think. The problem with the church is there's people looking at pornography by themselves. That's the problem with the church. The problem with the church isn't, you know, like someone bringing a bomb. That's not our biggest concern. Our biggest concern is that people's, uh, the devil is working individually in lives and you're gossiping and people are having affairs, and people are addicted to stuff. This is the problem. And so before we roll our eyes at Peter, I mean, I think of myself, I look in the mirror. I look in the mirror and I think, you know, I'm not so tough. I don't think I'm so awesome at confessing my faith. And it's really easy around all of you, and I can look really confident. You're like, man, I wish I could, I don't know if anyone's ever said this, but I wish I could have the confidence that pastor has talking about your faith. Well, it's not so easy when I'm hanging out with my neighbors in a driveway and we're having a beer and then someone mentions in, in passing, like, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe. And I've got a thousand excuses why I don't just stand up and say, well, no, that, that actually is not true right there. And I don't know if you've gotten the same situation. We've got all these excuses, you know, I don't want to cause problems at work or I don't want to, you know, I wanna, don't want to bother my kids and I don't want to upend the thing. And I think if we all look in the, the mirror, we see that the gates of Hades have come against us one by one, and hit by hit, and hit by hit. And it sure seems like the devil's winning a lot, but what does Jesus promise us? The gates of Haiti are not going to overcome my church. And so our strength is not in us individually being tough and, you know, just willpower. The, the strength that sits behind us is that we have a, a confession in something that's true. And that when we, we, we can't sleep at night or you get up early because you can't, you can't you, there's guilt rolling through your head and you feel bad about all these things that you've done. You, that's Satan's attacks, but it's Jesus who says, listen, I really am the Savior. I really am the Messiah. I really, you, I, you are forgiven. And when you confess that to me, 
those sins are gone forever. Those are wiped away, and with a smile, God is saying, this, these are my kids, these are my children, this is my church. And, and Satan is never going to overcome that. There's an irony with St. Peter's Basilica, if, if you've been there. Um, so I'm going to show you a couple pictures. Outside of it, is, this is a 30-foot statue of St. Peter, obviously, you can tell that. Uh, inside, there's another statue of St. Peter's. Anyone recognize this one? It's really famous. Um, it's famous because this, these are his feet. Now, it's not because the artist had no idea how to draw feet. But for a thousand years, people have paid homage to Peter and they've kissed his feet um, so many times. So many. I touched the feet with my hand. That's as far as I was going to get. It was not going to kiss a Petri dish or something. So, it, so many times that it's completely worn off. If you look inside, uh, here, this gives you an idea of the, the height. You can't read it. Shoot. Um, oh, my laser pointer. Not working. All right. Here's my laser pointer. Look up four feet from where that dot is. You can't quite see it. There's letters way on the top. Can you kind of see those? All right, there's letters way on the top, and it's in Latin, and it's at, um, et tu Petrus. It's talking about, in Latin, it's talking about Peter. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and then it skips one section. It says, I give you the keys to heaven. Those letters, you know how big they are? Six and a half feet tall like taller than I am, are each of those letters, and it goes around. You can go up on the top, probably not anymore, um, but there's a, it's called the Coppola, I think, or Coppola, and then around there's a fence that you can go down, but you can look down and just get a sense of the vastness of it. Why do I bring all this up? It's this, this chapel to Peter, but it's the strength of the church Peter. The irony of the whole thing is the most famous thing in the, the Basilica of St. Peter is this by Michelangelo. If you recognize this statue, it's beautiful. Uh, the Pieta, they call it. And I think this is the irony. We often try and find strength in ourselves, and we, we, build this, we build this giant thing. Peter's supposed to be in the basement, buried, and you know, talk about all this great confession. But the church isn't built on Peter. And the church isn't built on my confession either. A broken Jesus is the thing that we're not always so in love with, to say that here really is our strength, that we had a Savior that had all power. This is six feet tall, smaller than one letter of this ode to Peter. Six feet tall is a broken Jesus. That we had a God who was willing to come to this earth and because of our arrogance and because of our selfishness and because of our own thought that says this is where the strength is, we have a God who was willing to be broken so that we could be put back together. And so as Satan is going to do, no doubt, piece by piece, attack you bit by bit and from angle from angle, you can fight all those attacks off with a simple thing that says you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God, and in him I have forgiveness. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how powerful it is to see that we have a God who's willing to empty himself to fill us up. We pray that we, bit by bit, learn more and more in our word, not just for our head knowledge, but that our heart is changed, and that we know that our strength is not in our own heart, in our own confession. It's a simple confession that says, I have sinned. And to know that you say, you don't just whisper, but you shout boldly from the cross that it is finished, our sins are paid for, and we can step out of these doors as forgiven children, um, ready to, with a confession, armed not in the strength of how loud we say it, but the strength of the truth, that you truly are God, and you broke yourself so that we could be built up. Uh, help us live this life and be missionaries in this field, and give us the courage when we have so many situations, like Peter, where we want to back down, Give us the courage to stand up and, and just speak truth. This is what you are, and this is who Jesus really is, and this is why you matter.
We ask this in your name.